sober to get my head sort of clear enough to sit every day again. It took me three years to start doing martial arts again. That's how out to lunch I was, yeah? I needed to get my externals together and just sort of live in that highway with those God rails, G-O-D rails of the principles of AA. Then the mind started to settle a little bit and I could start maybe <coughs> working on improving the conscious contact. So then I started, got into Buddhism. For, I got introduced to Zen and then I got introduced to a Buddhism called Theravada Buddhism, which is what they practice in Sri Lanka and Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam. And there's another Buddhism called Mahayana Buddhism, which is like Zen and stuff like that. They have a lot of other practices. And then there's Tibetan Buddhism, which, which is called Vajrayana Buddhism, which they have their own type of practice in Tibet. Yes? So there's Mahayana is the largest spreading one. All of China and Japan, all of that's Mahayana. Southeast Asia is Hinayana or Theravada, and then this other one's Tibet. But they have a lot of practices, meditation practices, that are helpful. The major one is called Vipassana. Right? Vipassana. And Vipassana is just a way of, uh, there's all different styles, but what you do is you find certain points on your body, yes, and you just let your mind go to those points and feel like what it feels like, like your left knee, yeah, and then your right knee, then your, let's say, the bottom of your foot, the shoulder, and like that. So you send the mind and you give it this little... Uh, practice just to follow physical sensations of the body. And in that way, it's like the mind is sort of like a monkey, yeah? And then a meditation is like putting it on a pole. So the mind, the meditation, gets it to go like that. And then there's a little bit of stillness or less agitation. <clears throat> now in AA, we get to meditation and prayer really in uh, step 11. But for me, AA is a linear program, 12 steps, and each step will affect your attitude and outlook to, to actually to set you up for doing the next step. So like when I got into AA, the first step, I was totally in the first step, but when people took, and when I got to the fourth step, and I did my fourth step, I wasn't ready for the ninth step. You know, there were certain things I was never going to do. I told my sponsor, Hey, if I make these amends, I'm going to go to jail. I don't want to go to jail, so I'm not making these amends. Yeah? I had some warrants out for my arrest somewhere. But as I kept practicing AA, yeah, two years later, I was ready to do those things that two years before I said I was never going to do. So what happened? Yeah? My attitude and outlook got adjusted, which is what this program does. So you can't be thinking about the ninth step on the first step in a way. And it's not really wise to think about the eleventh step in a sense the first step, maybe the prayer aspect of it, but not the sitting, because your mind is just too fucked, basically. Yeah? It's sort of like if you're acting out all day, well, let's say if you go, like I said, you sleep with your friend's best friend, I mean your best friend's girlfriend, you're not going to go home and meditate. Yeah? The mind's going to be accusing you and guilt and all this stuff's going on. So it's really important, like in step 11, it's preceded by step 10 which is an inventory process to get in the habit of it. And it actually begins with another inventory, step 11. Yeah? So you want to sort of make sure that your house is somewhat clean before you sit in the center of the living room. Yes? Because if it isn't clean, your mind's going to run around about all those things in your house. 
it's going to be very difficult to have it settle down because it's thinking about this and that and this and that and this and that. So in AA we say, you know, practice these principles in all our affairs. If you can't practice them in all your affairs, limit your affairs. Just limit your affairs. Doesn't mean they'll be limited forever, but at a certain situation, it may be best to limit your affairs. And down the road, you may be able to go back into those things. But right now, it's nice to know your limitations, and that's why a sponsor is important. Because a sponsor can probably read you better than you read you. So by listening to them and taking their suggestions, you may not go back to what you used to like to do just yet. Why? So that the attitude and outlook about that will get adjusted by the program. And then you can go back, like maybe your family. Immediately you have a lot of guilt or shame about your family, so you want to rush back and make amends and do this and do that. Like, so what happened with me? I was about three months sober, and the last girlfriend I had when I was out there, I felt like I introduced her to hell, you know? I, I... By her meeting me, she got introduced to intravenous drug use, and her life went down the tubes. So when I got sober, and I wasn't disassociating from all those feelings, a lot of feelings about what I had done, seemingly to her, were very present. So I wanted to get relief. So I called her up. I was just on the first step. I found out where she was working in San Francisco at this Buena Vista club, and I called her up, and I asked for her, Kay, and when she came to the phone, I said something, and she recognized my voice, and she says, never call me again this lifetime, yeah, so that amend didn't really go well, in a sense, yeah, boing, and there was no relief, but, because uh, the point was, my attitude and outlook hadn't been adjusted enough through doing the steps, right, for it to be a sort of like, not a successful amend, but a true amend. It wasn't an amend. I just wanted to get relief like when I shot dope. I was trying to get relief. So, the idea that someone who's right out off the streets is going to sit and meditate for an hour is ridiculous to me. They need just to get their externals down, yes? Get into the habit of going to meetings and hanging out and participating. They don't really need any quiet time usually because their mind's insane. Just like you know, if you think you have a problem, what happens? Sometimes you say, I'm going to go home and think about it. What happens when you think about a problem? It spawns about 20 more problems. The thinking about it is the problem, literally. So this idea of inventory is really important before meditation and also living somewhat of a, a life with some integrity. So that when you sit down, just like when you do the amends, when I did, I had an amend, I had this situation when I got to the ninth step. I used to rob a store nearby where I was living at a time. I used to rob a store, I'd go in there every day and steal a couple of 16 ounces and then a steak or two, put them in the back and then I'd leave. And I did this for months. And then there was a meeting when I got sober in this area of town. In San Francisco, it's very, very, uh, parking spaces are high priority. There's not that many parking spaces in the city. But I would never go near that store when I was looking for a parking space for this meeting. Yeah? Because as soon as I got in that neighborhood, I started thinking about what I had done. And I didn't want to have to confront that. So 
my life sort of was based to live around this one block radius in North Beach, so I would never run to, into Rossi's Market. And one day I finally said, I'm going to go in there and uh, talk to them. So I went in, I asked for the manager, and the manager, I went up his, to his little office, and I said, hey, I used to live around this neighborhood. I'm in recovery now, and I used to steal a lot from your store. So he was sort of like really surprised by this. I gave him 55 bucks, you know, stole a lot more than that, but I gave him 55 bucks. But as soon as I gave him that 55 bucks, I never thought of Rossi's Market again. Yeah, never. Never came up again. That is sort of what it's like. So the steps, in a sense, provide the right conditions for you to actually sit down if you so desire. You don't have to sit down. You can lay down to meditate. You can find something you love to do, and that's a meditation, you know, like surfing or skiing or whatever like that. But there'll be pause, there'll be times where that meditation is really just an extended pause, like they talk about in AA, when pause when agitated, yes? P-A-U-S-E. It's a very important... If you had a, a map of your life, a linear map, and you had like five pauses to put in there anywhere you wanted in your life, it would, your whole life would look different if you wouldn't have said or done something at a certain moment. If you would have had a pause before you initiated action, you actually took a breath and didn't do anything. Your whole life would have looked different. Even just two pauses. Yeah? One night I got up, one night I was out there. I had gone to a spiritual meeting from my old guru. I, I wasn't sober. I realized I wasn't in condition to even entertain what they were offering anymore. I stopped at a bar, drank a couple shots of, qua- of Grand Manier, eat a Quaalude, and there was only the bartender and the waitress there. I drove to my sister's house where I was staying. It was January 30th, 1980, in, in New York. It was freezing cold. Nobody was out. I got home. I sat down, and my mind got irritable, restless, and discontent. It started to tell me a story that I'm really missing something at the bar, like a big party broke out or something, you know, like out of the blue. But I believed the advertising, and I got into my car, and I drove down there, and as I was crossing the street, I got run over twice by a drunk driver. He ran me over. I didn't know he ran me over and backed up over me. So if there would have been a little pause before I left my house, <laughs> even if I just checked the weather and said, it's freaking freezing, it's Sunday night, no one's going to be at this bar, but there was no pause. Anytime my head advertised something, I usually bought the product. Yeah. So... What to me a meditation is, is just sitting in a pause. Yeah? Sitting in, like in the, in, in the Bible it says, be still and know that I am God. Yeah? The requirement is be still. Knowing that I am God is always available at all times. But the be still is the requirement that is on us. So if your mind is activated and agitated, it's not going to be still at your beck and call. Obviously. You can't stop your thinking, can you? You can. Oh, great. You can stop it. Fantastic. For how long? I don't know. Well, I guess I'm still thinking when I focus on Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's it. Yes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So thinking, though we think we're the thinker of it, it's sort of like if you were running, you could stop running, yeah? If someone said, hey, stop running, because you were running, you could stop unless you had like, you know, excessive running syndrome, you would, okay, I stop. 
but we believe we're the thinker, but it doesn't seem like we have any control over it. Yeah. Thinking just continues on. Even when you say, I stopped thinking, that was thought. Witnessing the thought. You're witnessing stuff go by, so you're not actually participating in the story. That's right, exactly. So then you are actually meditating them. That's right. That's what I'm saying. The thoughts don't have to be stopped. If you're waiting for, like, you to have no thoughts, you're going to be waiting a long time. But the whole point is, is to be able to see thoughts as not ours, yeah? Really. It's the my of the thought that really binds you. Because let's just say Daryl here is having some thoughts going on in his head. Yes? And he comes over to my house and shares them. So let's say Daryl is flipping out about something that's not happening, like next week. Yeah? So Daryl comes here and he starts talking to me for two hours about how he's flipping out about next week. But next week isn't happening. Now, while he's sharing, I have an immunity to that. I'm not flipping out about next week. I'm listening to him, and actually I'm bored stiff in about a minute or two about his flipping out about next week. I really am. I want to do my laundry or something quickly. But the same thoughts will be going in my head, and I will be having the experiencing of flipping out. They're the same thoughts. What's the difference? Those thoughts I see as Daryl's, and I have an immunity to them. These thoughts I see are about me, and I have no immunity to them. So really, the bondage... Isn't, the thought does not bond you, like the lady just said. It's just coming to go. Yeah? It's the my that binds you. It's the feeling that you're the thinker of it, or it's about you. That's what binds you to thoughts. When you're sitting there and the thoughts are showing up, because do you know a thought's coming until it shows up? No. I see a thought coming from San Francisco. It left about two hours ago. It should arrive here. I like this thought. I think I'll claim it to be mine. I don't like it. That's not my thought. Yeah? No, a thought just shows up and you're aware of it. Yeah, And then it goes and then you're aware of what else shows up. Yeah. So let's say a feeling shows up. You're aware of that. So let's say someone goes, oh, I don't want to feel this, but they already felt it. Yeah. Haven't you noticed that? They go, oh, I don't like this feeling, but they've already felt the feeling. The feeling came before their reaction to the feeling. Yeah. The feeling happens, and then your mind goes, oh, it happened to me, and I don't like that, or I like it. Yeah? It has an opinion either way. But the feeling just happens, and the thought just happens. But what is aware of all the thoughts and the feelings? Yeah? In other words, if there's a thousand thoughts going through your head all day, there's only one you that seems to be aware of them, yes? Thousand thoughts, one you. Tons of feelings, one you. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that awareness is what you and I are, not the thoughts. Yeah. Maybe we're the awareness of thoughts. Maybe we're the awareness of feelings. Maybe we're the awareness of physical sensations instead of believing we're a physical sensation or the thinker of the thoughts or the feeler of the feelings. Maybe we're the awareness of a feeling. 
Maybe we're the awareness of the thought. Maybe we're the awareness of the physical sensation. Not the one who's having the physical sensation. Not the one who's having the thoughts. Not the one who's having the feelings. Yeah? The mental... See, there's a thing in AA called self. Yeah? Obsession with self is the root of the problem. So self, in my view, is a feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. It's an identification as a body, basically. So when I say, when the act of seeing, a thought is happening, yes? So there's seeing, let's say consciousness, and a thought goes by. My mental reaction to that is I'm seeing the thought. I'm as this, yeah? I, as Paul, am seeing the thought. That's a lie. That's a mental interpretation of the act of seeing, which is consciousness. And you and I are conscious right now. And so this consciousness is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching at all times. Yeah, Five different gates consciousness goes through and has an experience here. Sees, hears, feels, tastes, touch. The mental reaction to it, the mental reaction, which is the root of selfing. Yeah? Self is a mental product, the idea of being a self. When you were a baby, you had no sense of being a baby. They've proven it in research. The idea of being a separate entity comes about a year and a half into the kid's life. Yeah? Then it sees itself as separate, and then it sees its mother as separate, yeah? or her. So, here, so here's this consciousness that I believe we are, which is spirit. Yeah? Spirit is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching this world. Yeah? The mental reaction to that is, I am the seer, I am the hearer, I'm the feeler, I'm the taster, I'm the toucher. And that I, if you ask it, who am I? What will it say? Me. And what that me is, is what I call a you. Yeah, a body. Yes? When I see, I see you, I see a body. What I'm calling myself is a body. When my head thinks about me, it thinks of me as a body. Not only, but it thinks as that place. Exactly. You are identified, and even the observer is also an aspect of mind. I'm saying what you are isn't the observer at all. All there is is seeing. It's a verb. There's no one, there's no noun. There's no observer. There's observing, let's say. Yes? Separating. No, separating is what mind produces. The mental process produces separation by identifying as a body. As soon as I become a body, you become something else. So, the idea of being a self is a feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, a body. When your mind thinks, when your thoughts are about you, they're about a body. When you're worried about you in the future, it's seen as a body. You're not worrying about you as a spirit, obviously, because you can't worry about a spirit. And you're not, when you go back, oh, you know what happened to me when I was five years old? You're picturing yourself as a body, yeah? So the mental process, or the helmet that we're all in, called self-centeredness, is a mental process. Yeah? Self-centeredness is a mental process. It's a thought and interpretive system called everything pertains to me as a self. The center of the system is self. What we're suffering from is an extreme division of self-centeredness called alcoholism. That's what we have. It's like a parasite. The parasite has taken us over, and it's... It's a very hostile takeover, as you know. Yeah? It's not a benign parasite. 
when you start acting alcoholically, it's not like great, you know what I mean? It's not like you're going to Hawaii every weekend. It tends to bring you to certain destination, like institution jails and death and tons of fucking mental misery. So this parasite, to me, is very hostile, yeah? Now, for a hostile parasite to keep holding on to the host, it has to have an incredible strategy. Because the host's natural reaction would be to throw the parasite off. Yes? If there was a recognition that something is sucking the life out of me, there would be an almost instantaneous response as, I want to throw that off. Yes? Because it's, it's hitting the most important instinct, which is self-preservation, even as this. Yeah? So I want to throw this thing off. But it has an incredible strategy because it's convinced the host that you're it. Yes? Let's say you're in a condition, there's a lot of skillful means to help facilitate that conditioning, lessening, let's say, yeah? But there's a point, just like prayer, for me, when I first got sober, I did a prayer for five years straight, every day. No matter where I was, no matter who I was with, as soon as I woke up in the morning, I said, my name is Paul Hedeman, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm an addict, yes? My palace over alcohol and drugs, and my life is unmanageable. I've come to believe that something greater than myself can restore me to sanity, and I make a decision to turn myself over to that today. Yeah? Every day, five years. Then one day, after five years, I woke up, and I've never done that prayer again. Yes? The prayer was almost like a substitute for a state. As soon as the state got developed, I didn't need the prayer anymore. The prayer was there because another state was overriding me. Yes? So I needed some antidotes or some deterrence to that other state. As soon as that state got shifted by the program, I didn't need to pray that do that prayer anymore. Because when I woke up, I woke up in recovery instead of the fear of being under self again after five years of being in the program. So prayers, to me, have a purpose and a point, but they're probably going to change as you grow in, in life. Yeah? Because a prayer then, I don't have now. It's not point. It doesn't have any use to me because it was just a substitute for the state that I wasn't seemingly in yet. Yeah, it was like a bridge between the fearful, relying on self-state, and the idea of a higher power taking care of me. Now, the idea of a higher power taking care of me is more of a state. So I don't. Those prayers have changed. Yes, I'm not transferring from one state to the other state. I'm, I'm established in that other state, which changes everything. Like on page 63. We'll get to meditation sooner or later. Yeah? This, this is all meditation. Without an understanding, the meditation... Uh, like in Buddhism, the, before it says right meditation, it's right view. Right view is the beginning of the Eightfold Noble Path. Right view is having a sort of a right understanding about what's happening here. Yes? And then, right livelihood, right action, right meditation, and all that stuff happens. But the right view is important. And like in AA, 
the right view of what's really the problem is really important. Yes? If you have a cold and yet you think you have a flu and you buy $300 worth of flu medicine, you may, some, the cold and the flu have some similar symptoms, so there'll be a little relief, but you won't really get total relief from the cold because you've misdiagnosed it as a flu. It's important to know the real root of the dilemma, in a sense. If you know that the real root of the dilemma is obsession with self, I was looking at the word obsession today, which is you have a, you're very influenced by a recurring idea or thought or feeling about you, in a sense, or about something else that you have no power over. Yeah? Well, I believe obsession with self is just the beginning of the dilemma. It's gone way past obsession. I believe our mind is identified as a self. It's become, it's taken itself totally to be a body. Yes? I'm this. And the best it can do from here is to hope it can become spiritual by doing things. Yes? Spiritual practices. But the primary condition is you think, the mind thinks we're this. When it thinks about you, how does it think about you as a body? Yes? That's how the mind thinks about us is, I'm not consciousness or spirit, I'm a body. Yeah? So, just watch it, and then you'll see what it's identified as. It's identified as a body. So, if you're relying on self, which is a mental process, it's a product of a mental process, the mind made it up. It makes up a sense of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, a body. Yes? Then the obsession of everyday life is to reinforce that identification. Yeah? So you obsess over it and obsess over it, obsess over it, your mind does, and it reinforces that identification. So it's like, in the book it says, please relieve me of, to, of the bondage to self. Okay? So there's the idea of being self in your head, and you're bonded to it. How are you bonded to it? You're bonded to it through thought. The thoughts are all about you as a self, as a body. Yeah, All day. That's the constant gluing agent that the mind applies so that the spirit or consciousness can be forgotten and can be seen as a body. Yes. So then, okay, now I'm thinking I'm this. So how are you going to say, oh, I'm spirit? You're going to say I'm spirit as this. That's not it, yeah? Spirit is spirit. So when I'm taking myself to be this, I'm practicing stuff to become spiritual as this. Yeah? grafting spirituality onto me, trying to make it stick. Hopefully it'll give me an advantage here, nothing else did. So I'll become spiritual now. I was an addict, I was this, now I'm going to be a spiritual person. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Worse than them all, really. So now, there's this practicing stuff, but all, every practice is being held as if it's been done by you as a body. Yes? And as a brain. And that's what defeats almost all practices, in a sense, because (laughs) if you're identified as a self, I'm not talking about obsession. See, look at obsession. Now, look at, you ever see the horror movie where the woman gets really obsessed over a a starlet, and then she starts dressing like the starlet, and she starts going out with the people that go out with the starlet, then she starts killing the people that go out with the starlet, and then she inevitably tries to kill the starlet and take her place. Yeah? You go, wow, that's fucking insane. 
It's a pretty strong obsession, but identification is way past that. Way past that. Because you're identified with what you're obsessing over. <laughs> you're already identified about what you're obsessing over. <laughs> you don't even get a chance to see there's a starlet and the, st- I mean the impersonator and the star. You think they're the same thing. So the mind's obsessing over the idea of being this. Yes? Paul. If I'm this, I can't be spirit. I'm already primarily this. The best I can do is for this to start practicing spiritual things to become more spiritual. But in fact, if you are, if you are spirit, that to me is the highest form of maintenance of spiritual condition, is recognizing you are spirit. And how it worked with me is I recognized that I'm not that, what my mind is presenting as me. I am not a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. These thoughts are not... Look at like this room. We're all sitting here, and let's say this was an AA meeting, and people would be sharing their thoughts, their feelings, and their reactions to life, right? That's what we do. People come, they go, oh, I want to tell you what's happening with me. And so you share your thoughts, feelings, and reactions to certain situations. And then another person shares. And after a few months, something happens to you. You identify, don't you? You listen to enough people, and you came in here feeling terminally unique, but now there's only two conclusions. Either these people have my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions to life, or what? They're not mine. They're what we would call alcoholic thoughts, alcoholic feelings, and alcoholic reactions. So in a sense, I'm not identified with who you are. I'm identified with what's taking you over. Because the same parasite took me over. And if you go anywhere in the world, you'll identify with someone who's been taken over to India, and China, and Indonesia, because the parasite is the same. All the hosts are different, yeah? We're all different here, as this, but the parasite that's taken us over is not different. That's why we identify. If a normal person came in here and we started telling certain things that we see and do and feel, they'd be freaking aghast. They would be so fucking embarrassed. How could you possibly talk about this to anyone? But we'd all be laughing. Yeah? We'd have an identification with. Yeah? I don't know who the hell you are. You're from Canada somewhere, right? But I know what's taking you over. That's our point of contact. So if these thoughts are not mine, and these feelings are not really mine, and these reactions to life are not mine, that's where I found the freedom. <coughs> That's where the freedom is, because now, when the thoughts that are driving Daryl crazy appear in my head, they're held almost as if they were Daryl's thoughts, and they don't drive me crazy. Where before, the same thoughts driving him crazy, if I saw them as his, I had an immunity to, yeah? I wasn't driven crazy. But the same thoughts, if I thought they were mine, I was driven crazy. It's not the thought, it's the act of identifying, it's the my, like here. We're going to do this later on anyway, but I'll do it now. <laughs> Put the words money here. Money. Sex. Relationships. Yeah. Everyone, there's a meaning to them, yeah? All of us. We go, wow, yeah. If you don't have money, it means more than if you have money, probably. So there's a weight. If you weigh them, you know, money is more important, like, say, now than relationship, or maybe sex is more important than relationship and money. Yeah? There'd be a, everyone would give it a meaning. 
Now I'm going to add one word and see how much it changes. Look at the word money. Put the word my in front of it. My money. Big. Ouch. Exactly. Ouch. I don't like that. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Sex. My sex. Relationships. My relationships. The my is the act of identifying. And that's the suffering. It's not relationships, sex, and money. It's the my of it. It's the mind claiming them as its own. Yeah, This is my money. These are my relationships. This is my sex. That causes a lot of distortion in that. Yeah? It makes you travel heavier. Big time heavier. Yeah, Just like if you weighed a thousand thoughts. You had a thousand thoughts each day. And they weighed an ounce each. So you have a thousand thoughts. You're used to traveling with a thousand ounces. Yeah? doesn't seem to slow you up because you don't really, you've never known anything else. It doesn't feel to slow you up. You're all right. But let's say now I add the word my to the thought and they're a pound each. Now you're ca- carrying a thousand pounds. You're going to be traveling quite heavy. Yeah? Same luggage, thought, yeah? Same thousand thoughts, but one thing's different is the weight of it. The my, the my thought is much more important than our thought like the lady was sharing, when she can see or observe the thoughts, there's a recognition, they're not about me, I'm not the thinker of them, I'm watching that, I'm what's watching them. That's a lovely way to travel. But as soon as the mind says, I'm, these, are th- these thoughts are about me as this, or they're mine, like I'm the doer of them, then you start traveling heavy again. Yeah? So this, for me, is just... Step 11 is to improve the conscious contact that you are already in. You're in conscious contact. That's what life is. I'm feeling, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm tasting, I'm touching. What else is that but conscious contact? If I'm asleep or unconscious, I'm not seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. I'm totally in the mental realm then. But here, I'm in conscious contact, feeling this awe. I'm seeing you. I'm hearing, I'm tasting, I'm touching that's what I believe we are, is that conscious contact. Yeah? The mental reaction to that conscious contact is I am seeing. The I that it's talking about is me, the body. So consciousness having contact here through a body. Yeah? Like when I was young, my uncle Fred, he died, the guy I used to really like. I was nine years old, and my mother took me to the funeral. And in the funeral, there was an open casket. So my mother walked me up, and she says, you want to say goodbye to Uncle Fred? And I said, all right. So she brought me up in front of the casket, and I looked in. And I had a real strong hit that that ain't Uncle Fred. The body was there. But without the animating principle, without the spirit, yeah, it sure didn't look like Uncle Fred anymore. So I was identifying Uncle Fred with the body because I was identified as the body. Yeah? So I saw, while Uncle Fred was living, I thought the body was Uncle Fred. But when I saw the body without Uncle Fred in it, it was very clear that wasn't Uncle Fred. And if you took an eye out of Uncle Fred's head that wasn't seeing anymore from that Uncle Fred location, and put it in a live body, that eye would see again. The lenses were perfect, but what sees wasn't there anymore. The eye's not seeing anything, this eye. Something 
uses the lens of the eye to see. And we call it me, call Paul the body, but when you see a dead body, you may have a distinct feeling, that ain't that person I knew. Yeah? Well, the same thing. It's really nice to realize that you're not the body now while you're living. It's a lot better than to have it happen to someone else when they're looking at you. And the, that ain't P- Uncle Paul again. Yeah. <laughs> this is like real relief. Real, real relief. Real radical relief. True freedom from the bondage of self. Because self can't get out of self. It's impossible. And if the root of the problem is identification as self, when you believe you're leaving self, that will be self-doing. Yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. So here, all right, I recognize the dilemma, self, but you recognize it as self. <laughs> self can't get out of self. So <laughs> Every form of getting out of self is actually another way of being in self. Literally. Everything. You may get relief, but you'll always be drawn back to the unrelief. Then maybe some more relief, then unrelief. You'll never be free from either or, connected, disconnected. And really what happens is said in the third step of the program. And it says the how and why of the program, which is a pretty comprehensive statement for any program. If someone says, all right, we're going to talk about the how and why of this program called the four-year lawyer school at some place. It's pretty comprehensive. So, The how and why of this program we're involved with is to quit playing God. And it has a very simple reason. It doesn't work. That's why. Yeah? So, or if you want to look at it another way, why do you have so much fear today? Yeah? Everyone would have a huge story why. Bill W. cuts it and says, Period. Isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So what is reliance on self? You can't be more relied on self if you're identified as it. You can't be more and more. That's so past relying, it's it's unbelievable. It is, you're up the ass of self, so far up. It's not a good view of that. So if, if reliance on self... The reason why it doesn't work is because it's unreliable. Yes? So it's like here. If you had a pot, you had a rose bush in a pot, and the rose bush hasn't bloomed in years. And let's say the rose bush had a little voice box, and it was self-centered, so it was blaming itself for not blooming after it blamed its family and whatever. Yeah. But the fact is, if you just took that, because there's no soil in the pot, it's too small, there's no light, no water. If you took that same rose bush and put it in a big pot with some good soil, with a lot of water and a lot of sun, that rose bush is going to bloom. That's exactly what's happening to us. We just look, we're just demonstrating what we're relying on every day. If you're relying on self, you're going to live in anxiety. That's just the way it goes. Because it's unreliable. You're going to be worried that things aren't going to work out because they haven't worked out. (laughs) I mean, it's not rocket science. It's going to produce fear and anxiety. But if you're relying on something greater than self, the same rose bush will bloom. Yeah? You'll start blooming. You'll have an ease and comfort now in your own skin. Instead of hoping that someday I'll be okay, you'll be okay now. You'll have a sense of okayness now. The mind always promises you you'll be okay, but never now. It's always later, based on something you do or don't do, which is playing God. Yeah. Oh, ben. 
Okay. Uh, fear creates more fear, which creates more hate, which creates more resentment, which creates more anger. Love creates something I don't understand, which creates more love, which creates forgiveness, compassion, and something that is not created, which is spirit. Yes? <laughs> First of all, I don't believe in fear. Fear is a valid emotion. If, you're, if there was a, a, a threat now, hopefully you would react in fear. Yeah? A little tightening up, getting ready to take flight or fight or something. We're mostly suffering from anxiety, mental anxiety, produced by our dwelling in thought about what's not happening. Literally. Because if you're... What's not happening, anything can happen in what's not happening. Yeah? You can have cancer next week. You can. You can be destitute. You can be totally broken. Your best friend may be sleeping with your, your girlfriend next week. Anything can happen in what's not happening. And the mind goes there through thought and speculates about all these things that could possibly happen to you as this. And so you feel anxious now, but there's no threat in this room. Yeah? No one's pulling out a gun. If you were really here, you would probably be getting bored or peaceful, but you wouldn't be flipping out yeah? if you were here in this room. But most of us are reacting to the mental process. Our attention and interest is in thoughts because we think they're about us. Yeah? So we're worried about how we're going to be. And so the weatherman that forecasts my life is crazy. I mean, it's always stormy weather. Even when it's beautiful, it's going to rain tomorrow. So I can't even enjoy how beautiful it is because it's always going to be, it could possibly be fucked tomorrow. So don't get too cocky, you know. This is insanity to be living on that on that interpretation to me. It's insane. But here I am. Um, my mind is in what's not happening, and it's worrying I'll have cancer next week. What does it do? It takes, it produces an effect in the body based on that worry. And I feel shitty now. Yeah? I'm so worried. Hold on. I'm so worried this may happen that I start closing down now, here, not open to what's happening here, because I'm totally open to what's not happening. Yeah? So, I'm having an experience produced only by mind. You can't, next Friday, you cannot bring here. Today's Saturday, yeah? You can, no matter how much you think about it, you cannot transport next Friday, and everyone in this room would be thinking Saturday was Friday, next Friday. No. It's all happening in your little porno theater up there. Yeah? The mind is just going off. Speculating, speculating, and then going back and resenting. Like, you'll have a miracle today and you'll forget it in about an hour. But you have a resentment that's 40 years you've been entertaining. This is how the mind works. This is the mind in self. If you're having a good day, you'll be worried that it's not going to last. If you're having a bad day, you'll go, this is a lifelong depression starting. You want, that to, you want that to interpret your life for you, do you? Well, if you're relying on it, if you're identified as it, it's interpreting your life. There's no doubt about it. And then you have to have all these skillful means to try to combat 
that incessant attack instead of realizing I'm not that. If I'm not that, I'll tell you, seriously, I'm using all the stuff I was going to use later on. But here I am in this room, and there's someone in the next room I'm interested in. Yeah? I'd like to sort of meet this girl, maybe biblically. You know? But I'm afraid to ask because I'm afraid of rejection. So here I am, supposed to be doing this talk, whatever, but my interest is way into this other room. Yeah? I want to hear what she has to say. Hopefully she's going to talk about me. And someone says, hey, Paul, you're supposed to be doing this meeting. And I agree with you, but I can't. It's like an obsession. Yes? I can't help myself. It's like this. Then someone throws a book on it and says, how to lose interest in a, in a conversation in another room. I page through it. It doesn't work. Listen, listen. Then, as, then I hear a talk to a friend, and she's talking about Matt. And my name is Paul. Immediately, I lose interest in that. I don't have to take a three-month workshop to lose interest yet. <laughs> As soon as I realize it's not about me, my interest gets pulled out of there and put right where I am. That's exactly what happens in the head. If you can entertain these thoughts aren't your thoughts, you'll lose interest in them. You really will. And when you lose interest in the obsession, the obsession diminishes. It loses its effect on you. And the reason why we're so prone to that obsession is we think it's about us. Or we're the thinker of it. And in a sense, if you see thoughts, you can see they're not, you're not the thinker of them. And they're definitely not about you as spirit, they're about you as a body. Their primary objective is to reinforce the identification of consciousness to the body form. That's what they do. All day, there's the daily narrative of life based on you as this, which is the active denial of you as that. Yeah? And it even screws with you better because it tries sometimes as this to try to become that. Yeah? It's like I used to, there's like a story. Let's say this is heaven's door, heaven's door. And I, uh, I want to go to heaven like most people. So I knock on the door. God answers the door and I go, God, can I come in? And God looks right at me and says, Paul, can't come in. So I'm a little dejected, I leave, and I start practicing spirituality. I get first of all I gotta look the part, so I get lights, you know, and some patchouli oil and start having a loving gaze talking quieter. Well, I hate your guts inside, but you know, Yes, I'm in love with everyone. So then I go back, knock on the door. God opens the door. I say, God, can I come in? And God looks right at me and says, Paul, can't come in. So now I flip out. I go out and I rip the robes and forget all these books and start getting loaded again. And then life washes me up on the shore near God's door and something happens. Maybe the moment of clarity, whatever you want to call it. Spiritual awakening. I knock on the door. God answers it. And I go, God, can I come in? And he looks right at me and goes, Paul can't come in. And I walk right by. He wasn't talking to me the whole time. He was just stating a fact. When spirit is identified as this, it cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He was just stating Paul, Steve, Mary, Sue cannot come in. But what you are is that, yes? As soon as I recognized I was not this, that my mind was presenting as me, I was in the kingdom of heaven. And realizing that, I was never out of the kingdom of heaven. It was a story, a story of mind 
presenting me as a body here. Yeah? And isn't that what the mind does all day? It just represents your life to you, doesn't it? When you think about your day, what does it do? It represents, from its point of view, which is self-centered, as this, it represents your day to you. This is the daily narrative that bonds you to the, the idea of being a self. Please relieve us of the bondage to self. Any bondage has to have a glue, yeah? Has to have a chain to a post, yes? There's got to be a bonding agent, be it a chain or a prison cell or a glue that bonds you to that. So self is bonded by thought. Your attention and interest follows those thoughts all day. The mind presents your life to you as an interpretation, and we we lose the feeling of being alive. And of course, if you lose the feeling of being alive, you're going to want to do something to get relief. My conditioning was to seek relief through alcohol and drugs. But to me, that inherent irritability, restlessness, and discontent of misidentification is always going to produce a drive to get relief. Maybe it won't be alcohol, but now it may be porno, or maybe shopping, or maybe this, or maybe that. Because the original addiction is the self. It's the idea of being a body. It's the original addiction. Yeah. Could you speak on uh, how uh, maybe the four agreements and specifically not making assumptions or taking things personally, how that applies to self as well? Well, self is what takes things personally. Self represents an idea of being a person. So to take something personally or as a person... It must be the act of being identified as a self. If you're not that, things are seen impersonal. Like, my thought is seen as a thought. And the witnessing of a thought is a lot different than the seeing of my thought. My thought entails a freaking story. It's going to happen. So you can change that by instead of saying, my money, my relationship, my blah, blah, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, you can just change it with one simple word like the money, the, and then there's no, again, there's no attachment to it <coughs> at all, and you're not attached mind or body once again. Well, you, you can find out all these little tricks, but the tricks always have a, a, just a sense of duration. They're going to end. Once the, just like in recovery, it says, you come into AA, and the the main principle of AA is reliance on something greater than self. Yes? So, page 62, 63. So it says, okay, the how and why of it is to quit playing God. Now you start looking at how you play God. When you wake up in the morning, how does a day be presented to you as a day? Moment to moment, yes? It seems like. At 7 o'clock in the morning, you're not getting 8 o'clock at night. You're getting each moment. So life sort of gives you one card at a time. So you don't really know what the hand's going to be. You play the card. You suit up and show up. The head tells you how it's going to be, how the game's going to go, doesn't it? It says, oh, you're going to lose your whole pot. Forget about it. Fuck it. Don't go out. Don't even go to work today. Doesn't it? It, it uh, speculates of how things are going to be. It informs you of its forecast. And if you're identified as it, your reaction will be as if that's so. Or like we say in a false evidence appearing real. Where life only deals you one hand, one card at a time. 
you can't know what next week's going to be like until you arrive there. And when you're thinking, when this apparatus is thinking about the future, it's doing it now. You cannot escape the nowness of life. The mental, there's a lot of mental activities in the nowness about there and then, yeah, about past and future. Even the word resentment is to re-feel something. Yeah? So a resentment is actually a re-feeling. Yeah? We're just going back into this mental past and conjuring up a feeling that we have associated with Uncle Fred saying, no money for you today or something, Paul, when I was a kid. Yeah? It's all just rehashing, representing, re, 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 re. And there's a lack of livingness in it. Yeah? So we want to have some spiritual contact. But then that drive to have spiritual contact can still be diminished by your identification as a body. Because let's say if you believe that self is driving you crazy, yeah? The head is driving you crazy. But you're identified as it. The mind identified as it cannot entertain being free of it. It can only entertain getting it therapy or maybe socializing it so it doesn't flip out at the next picnic or... Maybe if I just really restrain myself, I can have a two-month-long relationship, maybe somewhere down the road, yeah? But as soon as you entertain, I may not be that, the next thing the mind can do is entertain, I can be free of it. I mean radically free of it. Not maintaining it, not being vigilant and watching it all freaking day, but like it says on page around 84, the problem will not exist for us anymore. What I'm, what I'm humbly saying is the problem is existing as us now. And that's why it keeps existing for us. If the problem doesn't exist as us, you can have the sense that it doesn't exist for you anymore. Literally. You can be free now, today. Who knows about tomorrow? It doesn't matter. This is it. Yeah? So... In 62-63, it says, okay, we're gonna, we sincerely take this position of reliance on something greater than self. Yeah? And then all these things start happening. Remarkable events occur in our lives. Yeah? We have a new employer. Being all-powerful, it will take care of us if we perform its works well and stay close to him. I don't believe you can be far from him, so there's only one requirement. Do some service, basically. Yeah? And then all this stuff will happen. So as in the process of the steps... Part of the steps is that sincerity. Then there's part where you get established in that state. And then the effects are totally different than when you were sincerely taking that position. When you get established in relying on something greater than self, then you start feeling new power flow in. Yes? Then you, sit, then you can enjoy peace of mind. Enjoy it. Yeah? In other words, when peace of mind is available, you can actually be available to it. Yeah? You'll feel a new power flow in you will f realize you can face life successfully. And you will feel the conscious presence of being awake. The conscious presence. Not the ever-conscious thought about the thoughts and the feelings that are producing the sense of being present as this, but the conscious presence, this presence of spirit. Yeah? And spirit can't be unconscious. Only this can be conscious and unconscious. Spirit is consciousness. There's no deviation in spirit. There's no, oh, I'm, I'm having a bad spirit day today. Spirit is bright and effulgent as it is all the time. It's always available at all times. Yes? It's this that makes it, oh, 
I'm not feeling connected today, and so I'm going to do all these practices. Now I feel connected, only to feel unconnected the next day when you don't do the practices. Yeah? This is a form of slavery to me. This is about freedom. Freedom from not maintaining it or keeping it locked in a little room where it doesn't do huge damage. That's a part of the process, but there is a possibility of true freedom from the bondage of self. the point with, with, to me, recovery, it starts bringing you back here. Here. Yeah. And it starts, it retrieves all your attention and interest that has been used to keep all those secrets at bay and all the lies and all the stories, yes? Keep them sort of working, not, you know, and then all the future anxiety based on all the speculation, what could possibly happen to you? Yeah? It just brings you into like the day at a time, can even be shrunk even more. Day at a time, let's say an hour at a time, a moment at a time. And the idea of pause when agitated can actually be a state you live from, pause. Yeah? You can actually be in the state of pause where there's not a, a knee-jerk reaction to the thoughts and the feelings based on the mind's interpretation of them. You see the thoughts and the feelings, but spirit directs you now. It doesn't get hijacked by mind. Spirit directs you. It's much different than being directed by mind. Much different. Yeah. It just reminds me of something I've heard before, right? Which is that not, it's the spiritual being having a human experience, right? And the human experience is the addictive enslavement to self and And that it's not always resentments or reliving. But it's also, I'm addicted to the pleasure too, right? I want that over and over again. I want that feeling I had when I was with you that day over and over again every time I see you. So now I hold you hostage. I hold myself hostage. Right? Because yep. don't, I don't let anything be there. <clears throat> That's right. The drive I found in my own life with self is to be special and right. To be right. Yeah. It really likes to be right. And it likes to be special. It wants to be noticed. Like when I surf... There's the surfing, which is the experience, and then the mind is, did anyone see me catch that wave? Yeah? It's the acknowledgement that has more importance than the experience. Yeah? It's what it means has more importance than the event. That's the seeking. That's the life in mind, is what the life means, and life in this spirit to me is the living of it. It's a different. They don't really converge well. Yeah? Entertaining. Huh? They're entertaining. Well, to me, I like to use this the statement of this is how I do it. I entertain this information. You 
know, when I was t- heard, heard about this, that, because I was practicing a lot of quote unquote spiritual stuff. I was going, I was in Thailand doing like two week retreats in the jungle and everything, meditating like 13 hours a day. And, uh, fuck. And then the, the results would be I'd feel really high for a day or two when I left and I went back to the town. But then it was nothing radically changed. Yeah, it was just, it was just like, you know, drug, drug addict experiences, there are spiritual experiences. Yeah? And the mind's just consuming experiences. But the mind's basic condition doesn't change. Yeah? If, if the mind's basic condition is to be a body, it doesn't matter, in a sense, how many spiritual experiences you have. It's never enough. And it's the same thing. You go into retreats like you used to go to the drug dealer. Yeah. Is there a trick to have a constant? Well, the fact is, is it is constant. As long as you're putting work into it, Well, if... Let's say... Uh, hold on a second. Let's say... If something is always available at all times, and yet it doesn't seem to be available to us... That's the area of work, yes? I believe that is available at all times. I don't think it's that. I think it's everything, whatever. But, you know, the availability is of, at all times right where you are with no requirement necessary other than the ones that are set up in you. And so we do things to break down those requirements and conditions so that it's easily entertained. Yeah. And the whole point is, like in... Um, in page 84, when they say these statements, they say, the, now at this point you'll be of sound mind, and then you'll see that you have ceased fighting everyone and anything. Yes? You'll be placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. The problem will not exist for us. It will be as if you were reborn. Yeah? To me, the spiritual state is the true everlasting state. We're dreaming this state of being a body. Yeah? So when, that, when the dreamer wakes up from this dream, what it is is what it's always been, which is spirit. And when it's always been that, you realize it was never a body. It doesn't mean anything about taking care or not taking care of the body. It's just putting the horse before the cart. Because if the body's in first, then all it's going to do is try to become spiritual, but as a body. As this. And it's, it's, to me, it's, it doesn't work. Because if I'm a spiritual condition, then trying to become a spiritual condition is a way of denying I'm a spiritual condition. Practicing to become something you already are. Yes, yes. So I'm entertaining the idea, well, there's all these things to do to start convincing you that I'm not that. And then what happens is when you realize I'm not all of that, all that mental projection, that's being what you are, which is conscious. And you've been that the whole time. You've been awake the whole time. Yeah. Well, I um, I completely understand what you're saying, right, about, you know, how you're not this, right? But I want to know, are you going to teach us, like, um, well, not teach us, but show us, how can I untie myself to, um, like, the initial steps to take into using that spirit? I'm, like, you know what I mean? Yes. I, and I've heard this before, like, my dad about this all the time, this is a dream state, you know, I'm dreaming that I'm touching this, you know what I mean, so I'm aware of that, but it's, it's how do I connect with my spirit, like how do, how do I start that? Okay, okay, what happened, helped me a lot was service, yeah? 
service is one of the best medicines for an alcoholic mind because it produces an experience called being out of self. Yeah? It does. When you do service, sooner or later, there'll be a feeling of, it's like coming out of the ass of self. Yeah? You do service because you're engaged in someone else. And what happens? You feel bigger, right? You feel like lighter. feels like you got larger. To me, you feel available. Yeah. You're available to someone else, so you feel the sense of being available. And then when you feel available, there's a sense of presence usually. Yeah? No matter, I used to go do this H&I at this low-rung detox, and no matter what my mental condition was when I went in there, self-pity, whatever it was, after 10 minutes or 15 minutes, my whole attitude and outlook would be readjusted, and I'd be in gratitude and joy and like that. Every time, 11 years. I did it once a month every, for 11 years. It never failed. So you get out of self, and so when you're out of self doing service, there's an availability. And when you're available, there's a sense of something that's available when you're available, which is that conscious contact, the spirit, yeah? Now, what happened with me, thousands of times I did quote-unquote service, but usually what would occur is there was the sense of being Paul that did the service, yeah? I do the service, and the... The, the availability was an experience Paul was having, and the presence was an experience Paul was having, and then one time, I sensed I was the presence more than Paul. And that was that. Yes? The emphasis of my life changed, and I was the presence. And if I'm the presence, that makes me available all the time. Yes? And that makes me of service. And that's why it says in the big book, you will intuitively know how to have on the idea of being a self, yeah? And shift it, take it out of there, like it says in a lot of the statements in the book, you'll lose interest in self and gain interest in others, yeah? You, yes, and your little plans and designs and gain interest in and how you, what you can contribute to life. And all it is is the freeing up of the interest and attention, yes? Because of the reliance on self to something greater than self. And then that interest and attention is what alivens your life, just like it's deadening yours now. If you're sitting here totally interested and attentive to the thoughts about what's not happening, you're basically being deadened to life. Yeah? That same interest and attention, freed from that, will enliven your life. It's the same energy. It's like in this room, everyone in this room has tons of faith. Everybody has tons of faith. It's a natural quality here. Faith manifests by what vehicle it's put in. So let's say I have total faith in the thoughts in my head. I'm going to be in anxiety all day, every day. 
I'm going to be like this. Instead of praying, I'll be like this. Worrying. What could possibly happen to me? Yes? It's the same faith, but I have it in the system called self. If I could... If that faith you know, they get extracted from self, which is what AA does, it extracts that living faith that you are, takes it out of there, and puts it into another system, which is more reliable, trusting something infinite. And then your life just becomes the demonstration of that switch. So now you start traveling lighter where you used to travel heavy. It's just that simple. Your interest and attention is now mostly on the moment. You're available. You sense the present of being alive because there's a presence in being alive. You had it when you were a kid. That presence, that wonder and awe before you had the narrator going on. Oh, will I be playing next week? When I was a kid, I was just playing. I didn't have any thoughts about will I be playing next week because I had no idea of next week yet. Yeah? I didn't look at my mother as, oh, she's hugely ugly and bulbous. She was my mother. I loved her. There was no beauty and ugliness yet. All that I grew into. All that baloney I grew into. And what kept me in it is the identification with what it produces, the idea of being a self. That's the root of the problem. Obsession with self is to reinforce that identification. That's all it is. The constant obsessing over self is to reinforce the bonding agent. Because if it didn't have thoughts to support it, you'd recognize it very quickly, you're not that. It has to have, like, each one of us is traveling with our own hypnotist. You go into your little room upstairs, 204, and your head starts going off. It's like your hypnotist is putting you out again. Oh, yes, this will be over soon. Blah, 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 whatever. It's fucking ridiculous. And we're prey to it, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y, because we're identified as it. We have an incredible amount of interest in it, even though it's the same old, same old. Have you ever done 10 steps? I did a period for like two years, I wrote 10 steps every night. And every night, I'm afraid of, and then just fill in the blank. It was just ridiculous, you know? My whole life was based on anxiety about what's not happening. <laughs> Fucking incredible. <laughs> I'm never going to have a girlfriend. <laughs> what happens, let's say... A friend of mine tried to kill himself in Australia, yeah? He had a girlfriend, very nice girl, but he was basically benignly neglecting her for two years. Didn't really pay much attention. Then she finally decided to leave. As soon as she leaves, he calls me up and says, honestly, before he tries to kill himself, the source of my happiness has left me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's all mine. There was, you had the source of your happiness. What were you doing for two years? Because it wasn't given that name of the source of your happiness when it was there. It was only given that name by your head when it left. That's called exquisite suffering. If you didn't want what you don't have, you wouldn't be suffering. The mind sets it up that, oh, you really want something. And then you look around, oh, I don't have it. Oh, oh, this is all the puppet master. He's fucking with us. And you can't cut the strings as the puppet master. That's part of being having the strings. It's realizing I'm not that. Yeah? Or at least start entertaining you're not that. And maybe a bridge to that is entertaining someone else at one moment doing service is more important than you. Start retracting some of that importance that's constantly going into that black hole of selfing and maybe have it distributed to others for a little while. And you'll feel so much better for it. 
And once you get a clue, follow it. When something starts working, go for it. If the, if the quality of the higher power is to catch you, I don't care how much you pontificate about it, you don't know fucking squat till you fall. There's no way. I'm sick of I'm really sick of Yeah, it's just baloney. It's an abandonment. It's not like fucking anything other than that. It doesn't mean you abandon you. You abandon self. You abandon the idea of what you're not. Yeah? You move out of that fucking prison. There is no door locking you in. It's all made up. You're a mobile prison. All well, day. I need my own box. What? I need my own box because I've been saying to myself, I have to step out of the box in order to yeah. live the life that I want. That's but the I'm, bigger box. But, but I'm imprisoned in the box because I made the box, which is my body that I'm staying in. So if I just say there is no box, I'm free. That's right. Oh, my God. That's a dilemma, you see? There's this, there's this thing about, I'm in the box, yeah? And then there's a drive to get out of it. That's actually what is really what it looks like to be in it. The best way to get out of anything is to realize you were never in it. The only... Hmm? That's right. The moment I say I need to get, all I got to do is get out of the box, then I'm in another box. That's right, exactly. You're in the box called the out box. Yeah, there's no but here, so the best solution to an imaginary problem would be the recognition it's imaginary. Yeah? Or the best solution to what's not happening is it's not happening. Why would I want, why would I need therapy about what's not happening? If I realize it wasn't happening, its effects would end. Yeah? False evidence only appears real to you and me. False evidence never appears real. It appears real to you and me. It's based on where you're at that false evidence seems real. And if you're up the ass of self, a lot of false evidence is going to seem real. That's just the way it goes. And I mean, you can learn the greatest ways to combat it, but the best way to win the war is to realize there isn't one to me. Seriously. Much quicker, much faster. And yet, we do the stuff we need to do until that condition can be entertained. But a lot of times, it's good to know that, for me, the alcoholic way of life, its main premise is freedom. It truly is. It's, the main thing is to be living as if the problem does not exist for you, and definitely does not exist as you. That's freedom to me. Yeah? And a lot of times in recovery, we don't take, we don't raise the bar enough. We keep, like an old priest said in the beginning of AA, most people's experience of the program is a moving away from hell, not a moving towards heaven. Yeah? We're very good at the moving away from hell, what's going to happen to us. But a lot of people, after being in AA, the flames of hell are cooled off. Yeah? There's another movement towards something. Yes, That's what meditation and prayer and all that's about really is to improve the conscious contact is where you get interested in hey yeah, what the flavor I've gotten from this I want to find out more of that flavor yeah I want to uh, ingest more of that flavor yeah, yeah. and while you're in that pursuit you're used greatly as service without no matter against your own will really 
because something's taken what you call you over, and it doesn't have your own old self-centered view. It doesn't see life that way. It sees life of how to contribute. It really does against your own little narration of it. Hey, you're welcome, man. It's nice meeting you. We'll be back at one thirty. So we'll end now, eh? We're going to be back at one.